The Settle Down Podcast. You are listening to The Settle Down Podcast. With your host, Sean Settles. My guest today is Sarah Alcorn. She's a Harvard grad. She's been a private investigator since 1999, and she is one of the co-hosts of the podcast Ivy League Murders. How are you today? I'm great, Sean. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I have never met a private investigator in my entire life. So uh, when I saw your resume, I was like, that'd be kind of pretty cool to talk to a private investigator because I don't think it's a common thing around here. Well, that's true. It's um, a lot of private investigators, too, are uh, are ex-cops. So you probably have a kind of a different view mm-hmm. of what a what a PI uh, is like. But actually, more and more women are becoming private investigators now. So um, I, I think we do a really good job. Uh, and a lot of times, um, a lot of times for private investigators, you you have to go and talk to a lot of people, as you can imagine. So sometimes it's an advantage to be a woman. Other times, not so much. So. You know, that's uh, what is there a licensing requirement to be a private investigator, or is that something that differs from state to state to state? That differs from state to state. So, I'm in Massachusetts. Uh, in Massachusetts, what you have to do is you, you mentor under somebody who is a private investigator uh, for three years, you get your, you get your chops, and then you can go out and get your, your own license. So, uh, and if you want, I can tell you about my experience doing that. It was kind of absolutely, funny. yeah, yeah. So I, um, so I have a, I, I met somebody. I went to Harvard, um, and I met somebody else who had gone to Harvard who happened to be a private investigator too, and so he became my mentor. His name is David Prum, and uh, but he discouraged me in the beginning, and he. Basically, what he did, he was like, don't do this. You won't ever make any money. And I knew I wanted to do this. I was all over it. And so he took me to like this horrible neighborhood. It was like this murder. He, you know, we, we went into this, you know, go, going, it was a stabbing in Boston. And we went in to go and talk to the witnesses. He was trying to discourage me. And what he didn't know was like, I'm hooked, you know. So uh, it, uh, that's how I started out. But God, being a private investigator, uh, I've always just been a big crime person, a crime buff. Um, I was joking around with my podcast partner, Laura, that this morning, I think I reached a new low because I was doing online yoga and listening to true crime at the same time. And I was like, all right, this is, this is just wrong, you know? <laughs> I'm not a true crime person myself but I've noticed a lot of the bigger podcasts that aren't hosted by celebrities are true crime podcasts. So I think it's a big demographic of the popular podcast listeners. And Sean, I want to say that I think a lot of, I think a lot of true crime people are women. Actually, they're really, those are the ones I meet who are really like the true crime uh, true crime junkies, I guess. Uh, more women than men, I would say. But that's another thing Laura and I were joking around about how uh, 
that you've, there's the true crime podcast community is amazing and it is people of all walks of life and you know so we're joking around we're like we are the world you know so um, i can kind of see where you're coming from because more of the people that i know that are into like serial killers and reading and learning about that kind of stuff tend to be women over men it's a really fascinating thing like somebody should do a study on that yeah. because you wonder why you know you, you do kind of wonder why that is but know? then it's funny in the opposite regard because most serial killers are men but it's yes. the women that are fascinated with them yes that's right i think the the um yeah the it, you're at you're absolutely right that's very true so when you get a pi license to do private investigating what powers does that give you over some just ordinary citizen who's trying to do it themselves without a license? Well, I think knowledge is power, Sean. And uh, I, we have the capabilities with our license to look a little deeper into locating people and backgrounds. Uh, but it's more, I, I think it's more the knowledge that you attain over years and years and years of doing it. Um, and as, because I've done this as a profession, I can be given a case or given a background and I really kind of know what I'm looking for when I'm, when I'm looking at that person. So we have some access. I have some databases that I use. Most private investigators do. Uh, but it really is the... It's, it's really having good researching skills and it's really having, I have a, there's a lot of people who come to me and they're like, oh my God, that sounds so cool. I'd love to be a private investigator. And I, you really do want somebody who's kind of like the bloodhound type, who's yeah. like going after the information and uh, those, and, you know, that's the, those are the people that make the best private investigators, I think. So you have access to certain databases of information that say, such as myself, wouldn't be able to access if I was trying to find someone or look for someone? Sean, I know everything about you. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm just joking. This might be boring. The, um, yeah, I have uh, certain things. I mean, I think you, in terms of locating or what assets that person owns, uh, whether there's been any, it's, it's general stuff though, whether you've ever been involved in a court case, whether, uh, what's your footprint on social media, uh, when you do a background like that, those are the kind of things you're, you're looking for. So bankruptcies per, uh, you know, and it, it's not that the normal person wouldn't, the normal, uh, a person who's not a private investigator wouldn't have access to that, Sean. It's that, um, I know how to find it. I know where to find find it. That makes sense. I, that's what I do, you know. So, uh, and I often try to help people if they, you know, I, if they don't have, you know, the means or what have you. I'll point them in the right direction and try to help them out because it's out there. You just got to look yes. for it, you know. Like, I've never played around outside of the state of Indiana, but in Indiana, the state has a website where you can pretty much do a background check on anybody and if it's state record you can see if they've ever had tickets or been to court or been sued by someone or been arrested and all that oh all right i'll have to file that away in my like rolodex of knowledge yeah. now if i have something in indiana because it is usually state by state mm -hmm. 
Um, if you go, uh, Florida's awesome, let's say. If you have somebody and they have kind of a location footprint down in Florida and you're looking in Florida, it's all online. But there are some states that, frankly, sorry, excuse my French, they suck in terms of like being able to find out information about people. So uh, you have to go through all these like loopholes to get information. So, um. so have you ever worked on any cases that had some kind of high profile newsworthy story behind them? I've worked on many. Yeah, I've worked on many, but high profile, I'm not sure if it would have been made national news. Um, I worked on a very tragic case uh, having to do with, uh, it was the baby doe case. It was a murder case involving a toddler that was uh, local here. And so I worked on that case uh, that made national news, but it was mostly big um, local news around here. So, uh, but I have, I've worked on, um, gosh, I've worked on, but again, I think it's, it's, you know, like a, one of the cases I will actually cover in the podcast, Dr. Richard Sharp, I worked on that case as well. Um, so I've had the opportunity to, uh, to really work on some interesting cases. Some of them, some of which are high profile. So. Are there any good stories that you'd like to share that involve doing any private investigating work or? Oh, sure. There's about 10,000 that I can think of right now. <laughs> well, <let's hear> it. <laughs> it's funny. I, if, whatever reason, that is the hardest question anybody asks me because they're, each case has its own interesting narrative, Sean. And whether it's, sometimes it isn't even the case itself. Sometimes you're going along. I'll tell you one, it's, it's a little bit, you know, sometimes it's the witnesses that you run into. I, I, I knocked on this woman's door one time and I noticed, um, you know, she had, she had blonde hair. She had um, purple eyeshadow, pink lipstick. I'm a real fashion, like I always notice what women are wearing. So does Laura. And so she was dressed sort of in this pink and purple robe and I walk into her house, Sean. She's a hoarder, but I kid you not when I say that every single inch of this house was filled with either purple or pink stuff. So if you can imagine, you know, um, she was a very interesting character. So that was just one of the like random things that happened. It wasn't, I can't even remember what case that was attached to, but it was definitely one of those things that kind of looked at this woman and, you know, what a wow, she's got something going on, you know, here. So. Well, you have a pretty interesting career. For like myself, I have a full-time job, but on the side, my thing is I go to like yard sales and auctions and storage unit. Oh. And so I get the same like five, 10 questions from people every time they find out what I do on the side. What are your, like your questions that people come up to you and ask you about your career? Because I'm sure when they meet you and they find out you're a private investigator, it's not someone they get to talk to every day that does that, works in that oh. career. So what kind of common questions do you get from people when they find out? Oh, totally. Well, this is a, my usual thing is like, if I go to like a, like a drinks party or a cocktail party, they'll say, they, 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 they assume I'm a teacher or something like that. And they'll say, 
you know, well, what do you do? And I say, I'm a private investigator. And they go, oh, you don't look like a private investigator. And then always, always people ask me, do you carry a gun? So, uh, and I don't actually. Um, but I think most people are curious about what's that. They always ask me, Sean, what is that like? And I, the, the way that I can describe my job oftentimes is you're coming to me uh, with a problem, right? And I am a little bit of a fixer. You come to me and you say, um, whatever the situation may be, I'm accused of this crime and I need you to investigate for me, the other side, let's say. Uh, so that can take on many different forms. That could be following that other person, seeing what they're up to, doing a background, going and talking to other witnesses who know these two parties and can speak to that. Um, so that is mostly what I do. I mostly work on criminal defense. Um, I started in this business and I wanted to be gung-ho, get the bad guys. But what I have found during the 21 years that I've done this is that oftentimes somebody has a, um, so when somebody is accused of a, of a very, of a serious crime particularly, they've got the whole weight of the police department and the prosecution against them, right? And then on their side, they have their attorney and they have somebody like me. So I'm sort of, I'm like the, I'm like their, their legs on the ground, if, if, if you will. So instead of trying to catch the bad guy, most of the time you're trying to get the person being accused of the bad guy a defense in court why they aren't the bad guy. It, exactly. And sometimes, look, they're smoked. Sometimes you know this is hopeless and that's good information to, to have too. It's like, look, dude, <laughs> I'm not going to find anything good for you. You know what I mean? And, uh, but oftentimes... Most cases are sort of either mitigating circumstances or, it, I mean, I look at my job as not, tr as trying to paint a fuller picture of what's going on for that person. Uh, the prosecution's job, very black and white. They did it, put them away. My job is more to like fill in the details and help the attorney do that. Um, See, that's something I didn't know. I just assumed you were out trying to solve cases of missing kids for families and stuff like that. And instead you work more for like lawyers and. I have, but I, I also do, I also do that. I mean, I have also, uh, I'll tell you an intro. You wanted an interesting story. I had a, I had something a long, long time ago where we, there was a kid who had escaped from, um, he had escaped from a group home and he basically he his parents were worried about him and were trying to find him and so this was boston in february it was about uh, you know 10 below zero or you know it was all of like five degrees outside it's freezing outside so we had to go all around boston like looking for this kid because he had some mental health issues and we weren't sure if he was going to be okay basically so um but that was an interesting again we ended up finding the kid he had gone to a hotel and that kind of thing but it's it's what was what was revealing to me 
And sometimes this is what you get from my job is you get a, you start to understand how, you know, you start to understand how different people live. In other words, from that case, I met a ton of homeless people. I would show them their picture of this kid and say, have you seen this kid? Has he been in one of the shelters? And some of these homeless people were like in parks, ready to set up for bed. And I was trying to talk to them to say, look, it's really, really cold outside. You got to get inside. You know, my hands are freezing through my gloves kind of thing. They're like, no, we know what we're doing. And, but you, that's the other part of this job that I have so appreciated is that it it's you 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 start to meet and understand and talk to people normally i wouldn't you know i'm not out at two o'clock in the morning in the middle of boston common talking to people normally but with this job i am you know i have a friend and him and his wife are considering hiring a private investigator for a situation they're going through so i told them that I was going to be interviewing a private investigator for the podcast. So I want to kind of vaguely put their story out there and then see what advice you would give them. And it's a little, my friends, his wife, that I think her parents have been married for almost 40 years and they're not having the best marriage. Mm -hmm. And she just storms out in the middle of the night and goes to her friend's house and they think that she is in a secret lesbian relation with a female friend behind her dad's back how would they go about proving that if they ever decided to take that information to her father Oh boy. Okay. That's a sticky situation. Um, I think, well, how would I go about doing, she storms out. Um, and so the mother is meet, we presumably the mother is meeting up with another woman. She's going other. to her dear friend's house. Who, okay. I hate the stereotype. It'd be that guy, but they've actually seen the friend once. She's the kind of woman who has a mullet and, cut off t-shirt sleeves and drives a truck and i know it sounds stereotypical but that's well, what's in their mind and then anytime you bring up gay or lesbian around her mom her mom gets real defensive and like it goes over the top hateful acting towards gays and lesbians Mm, so the maybe like a defense mechanism. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I think the uh, that sounds like um, it sounds like a honestly a surveillance outside of the woman's um, the the woman's house, uh, the girlfriend's house, as it were, yes. and maybe to see if she spends the night. Obviously, um, it's maybe hard to spend the night there because. She works night shift on a regular job, so on her off days, she stays up all night because that's her normal routine. So they know that's where she's going, but they can't prove that it's that it's that it's romantic or anything more than a friendship. Right. Ooh, that that's a that might be a tough one. I think the 
um, I mean, you can spend the night at someone's house too and not have it sexual yep. or, or romantic. Um, the, and unless they, unless the woman herself, I, the way I might want to approach that would be to talk to the girlfriend's friends in a very delicate way to see maybe if they could, they could possibly, yes. you know, give me a little bit more information on what, about what's personally happening for her friend. I mean, sometimes you can get information through the back door, like, oh, she's with this woman, but she's married. Um, but you, I, I, you know, I don't, um, that's a tough one because oftentimes the, um, I think if you can show that, that people are spending the night together, um, the, I think the assumption of, if it's a man or a woman, that something's happening, it's more difficult, obviously, if it's same sex. Correct. Another clue to the puzzle is she came home after one of these being gone on night sessions with a black eye. Mm -hmm. And it was clearly a getting punched in the face. And Ooh. she had a elaborate story about falling down. And then she quit going over there for about a month. And then about after a month, she started going back over there. Ooh, that sounds, that, that really does sound, sound complicated if that's. And her dad is one of those guys, he's oblivious to everything. So she's just going over to her friend's house. And, and it sounds like the rest of the family like, can kind of see the hints and what's going on. And they want, so, it's a pretty and, and, marriage and they want to be able to go to him and say, dad, this is what's happening. Yes. So they want, they want actually, they want proof. And now do the two ladies go out to bars at all? Do they, uh, um, not that they know of. together. They don't. Okay. Um, they're in their sixties and. Hmm. God. Um, yeah, that's a, Sean, that's a, that's a bit of a tough one. I'd have to, what I like to do is let things percolate through and then it'll be 1130 tonight and I'll go, okay, I got to call Sean because I got an idea for it. <laughs> um, but no, that's hard. That's so hard though. And so the, your friends can sort of, could, I, you know what it is? I talk myself out of so many jobs, Sean, because I, feel like people will call me often and be like, I saw, I've seen 15 text messages between my boyfriend and this other girl telling her, you know, he wants to do this to her and she's the sexiest thing he's ever, blah, 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 blah. But I want to make sure he's cheating. And I'm like, Does it matter at that point? I'm like, dude, don't add insult to injury and pay me to find out that he's cheating. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that should be enough to that, walk away enough, that, enough said, you know. Like and um, uh, but no. If your friend wants to give me a call, try to throw out ideas. And uh, but that's um, I'm sorry, that's really tough. That's that's really sticky. We are just more curious from a private investigator side how a private investigator, if they hired someone local, would what they would do in that situation and. I think, unfortunately, like I think surveillance is kind of expensive, but I think that surveillance is kind of your only one of your basic tool in that in that toolkit, um, just to see to observe them. And even if it is 
it's not we're as PIs we're not allowed to look through people's windows but sometimes you can people get sloppy and you can look look through yeah. and whether the woman kissing her or hitting her at least you would you know you'd be able to see that so or some kind of vantage if they're sitting outside and it's hot and you you know you can get some kind of a view you you'd have to see kind of the the layout of the house Absolutely. And, you know what they're what they're doing so it's hard to say without knowing what the parameters are always as a private investigator too you want to go to the scene and you want to you you have to be able to set up and you have to be able to set up in a way that is discreet you don't want to call attention to yourself uh because you know the other thing about surveillance is it's 99 percent waiting and one percent waiting boredom excuse my french but you have to pee and you can't <laughs> and you know one percent of like pure like adrenaline driven like you got to get in there and get it basically so not my favorite surveillance in your area would probably be a little easier because you're in an urban environment where it's common to see cars parked on the street every day exactly yeah in no, indiana yeah. it'd be kind of hard to do much surveillance because you're going to be sitting there's a good chance you could be sitting on the country road out in front of one house oh, in the cornfield. you're gonna you're gonna get the cops called on you probably yeah, yeah. You know, that was another yeah in that case uh you're gonna have yeah you're gonna just have to do you what you would want to do is rent a couple of different cars and you'd ha have to do spot check spot check you know you'd, you'd have to mix it up so that it's just vehicles driving around but you can still hopefully catch and observe something that's another thing say someone that's not licensed gets caught doing observance the cops would come you could get in a little trouble now if that happens to you if you're get if you get caught staking a spot out and the cops come with your license does that clear you okay. you're fine i mean there's there's tell you what you're supposed to go to the police and tell them that you are conducting a surveillance so at times i have done that but if it's a very small town i will not do that because chances are somebody's yep. cousin knows this guy and i'm not going to trust that so yeah, I've had I've had, um, I've had the cops called on me a few times, and one time, actually not that not that long ago, I had to um, I had to kind of duck. I ducked and ran because <laughs> I didn't want. Again, it was a small town, and I was like, you know, the guy had called the cops, and I just I just didn't want to deal with it. It's not that I'm doing anything illegal. It's that um, I just don't. I also don't want these people having my name. There's a, a lot of different reasons for it, but that was kind of that was kind of scary and kind of fun. Actually. So you've had cops called on you and then had to show your license to the cops to explain your yeah. situation yeah, yeah. on the surveillance. Yeah. It's like if you're in, I, it was like in the suburbs and some probably, you know, some woman, I shouldn't say, someone called the cops and they were like, I don't know why this woman is, you know, is outside of my house, basically. And you can only move around so much. And then if somebody notices you, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. I, I'm always candid with people about surveillance. I'm like, it is expensive. There is a chance that you're going to lose the person. There is a chance that you are, um, 
you know, that you, that you're, that the person's going to make you. I've had that happen not very often, but that's happened too. The other thing is too, I'll tell you a funny, funny, early, early on when I was just kind of getting my surveillance chops, uh, I had to follow this woman who was, uh, I can't remember how old she was. She was probably, I think she was in her 70s and her husband was having her followed to because he thought she was having this you know big affair and i was like i was like damn like i want to be i want to be hot enough at 70 that my husband is having me followed <laughs> but it turns out she wasn't doing anything she was just like getting i think she was kind of he was kind of annoying i think she was just getting out of the house yeah. and away him and like going to like knitting stores and like TJ Maxx and like you know Walmart you know <laughs> do you get a lot of uh cases that are like that tv shows cheaters where you're paid to follow a spouse or significant other around oh yes yeah I've had a lot of those but of course in Massachusetts there's something called no fault uh, divorce so you can have you know you know, 10, 10 girlfriends or 10 boyfriends, and it's not going to matter for court. But a lot of times for child custody cases, I'll, I'll do surveillances. Uh, there's a number of different, and sometimes people are just curious, like, what are they up to? They go, you know, he disappears from 4.30 to 9.30 on Tuesdays, and he tells me he's playing bridge with his buddies, but I don't believe him, and go check it out. You have any good stories where you've caught someone in the act of going to a hotel or something behind their spouses? Oh, is... yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that it's heartbreaking, Sean. I hate. Oh, I, I hate telling people like, "Yep, your 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 suspicions were right." You just know that it's like the their heart is breaking, and it. Ugh, that I hate delivering that news. I love delivering the like, nope, she's not doing anything. She's actually on a, you know, she's actually at a conference and, you know, she just met her girlfriends for a drink and, you know, I, I but yeah, the delivering the other news is, oh, it's awful. Now, what's percentage wise, are their suspicions correct more than they're not or how does that work? Um, yeah, their suspicions are most often, I would say probably 60, no, 70, 30, 70, that their suspicions are correct. 30, they're, they, you know, it's, they were just being, you know, paranoid or what have you, or, um, but, but also that you have the other side of that when, I think when someone doesn't have trust in their relationship, you're never going to be able to convince them, you know, it's like, okay, well this time he wasn't, but, you know, I know that, um, so that's you, you run into that as well. It, I mean, you, you also do run into your share of nuts. You know, you do run into your share of like, you know, I came home and there's no, I had ham in my refrigerator and I know that, and I came home and there was no ham in my refrigerator. Someone's breaking in and stealing my ham. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, maybe, but I, think there might be something you know I think you really go, need to go and talk to somebody you yeah. know and uh, figure this one out you know so you got to kind of weed out the you got to weed out the tinfoil hat types because they call you too you know so so let's talk about your podcast because obviously that's why you're here you want to promote your podcast yes uh it's called Ivy League Murders 
let's let's give everyone a summary of what entails in your podcast. What? Yes, absolutely. So Ivy League Murders is is a, my my podcast that I do with Laura McDonald. Uh, we are on all the platforms. Uh, we cover uh, serious cases that happen in academia. So our this is our niche in in true crime. It's true crime. It's it's heavy duty. You know, it's murders. It's uh, any number of serious crimes that happen in in academia. And and our kind of our take on it is what we try to do is we try to take the true genre, uh, true crime genre, and go a little bit deeper in it because it ha does have to do with with academics. And we, we try to look at people who. As we say, like, why are the like the supp supposedly the best of the best? You know, why do they make these like horrible decisions? Which you know, to murder somebody obviously is the worst decision that you can make. And that sometimes what you, you know, you can have all the intellect that you want, but if you don't have the emotional um, intelligence or the emotional goodies, then you're still going to make these kind of fatal decisions, basically. So we take it case by case and we try to, we, we try to examine it from all the angles and dive just a little bit deeper into, um, you know, what the, what the various players were, were into. And uh, we have, now we have um, eight episodes out. And uh, so we've just been very, busy and it made uh and it it's been it's so much fun and it's all the stuff that laura and i do anyway we we you know we're both huge crime junkies as i said earlier today i was doing online yoga and listening to a true crime podcast so you know i'm i'm hopeless you know but uh are you putting the episodes out weekly bi-weekly do you guys have a schedule that you're working on yes we're, we're trying to aim for weekly at this point but uh sometimes you know we we're again it's we're just into our nine episodes but we have a hundred st five star reviews nice yeah and i and for a smaller you know thing and we've got a thousand we've got a thousand subscribers and followers but we need you know we need to get more business minded and really get our patreon together and uh but you know and and uh but yeah you can find us at ivy league murders uh, and we're on like i said we're on you know, uh, we're on apple we're on uh, spotify stitcher all the the major the major ones and i'm really proud of what we've done so far and um it it's um yeah it's it's a lot of work and it's great i mean i'm you know I listened to your preview. I haven't got a chance to listen to any episodes, but it came across really, really well produced. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The stuff I put out. <laughs> you know, the thing is true. It's like, but there's pod, as you know, and I, same thing, I've been at watching your, your, your YouTubes, you know, and, uh, um, that I love your interview style and your, 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 you're a good, uh, you're a good interviewer. I feel like sometimes interviewers, even though they're asking a question, they're kind of like, you know, they kind of want to dominate the con the conversation or the interview. And you're not like that. You're really good. Like you just sit back and you kind of let the person respond. And that's such a good. I feel like most people want to hear you or whoever else I'm interviewing more than they want to hear me talk. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. It's, uh, but I may have the same thing that you do, Sean. Like I, I'm always curious about people. I want yes. to ask 
I want to ask people questions. I want to find out, you know, more, you know, I want to find out from people. I, That's my biggest challenge is finding interesting people that aren't too big that are just going to blow me off and to have right, a right. recognition or a cool story. That's my hardest, hardest finding those kind of people. Interesting. All right. Well, maybe Laura and I can help you out with that. We know some characters. I try to do my own private investigating work, trying to find some of the emails to some of these people to oh. get hold of them. And hey, if you need help, well, uh, you know, you you have a PI now in your, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you have any? Uh, do you use your guys' podcast? Have any social media? Oh yes, we are on. Um, yep, we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on um, uh, Instagram all the time. Uh, yeah, we're, we're all over the, the platforms. We're not on TikTok because I don't think we're really, I kind of feel like TikTok's for kids. Yeah, I'm not on that one either. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they can be searched Ivy League murders on any of the three major platforms. and Yes, yes. And please, please, please give us a listen. Give us five stars. Support us on Patreon. Um, tell all your friends. Tell all your enemies. Just you know, spread the word, please. You know. Okay. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. It's been fun, and I learned more about private investigating than I knew before. All right. Well, great talking to you too, Sean. Thanks. <laughs>